As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. On Friday, the world of football was turned upside down. I will leave the club at the end of the season. So why is Jurgen Klopp walking away from Liverpool and having grown to control power at Anfield? How do the Reds go about replacing their most successful manager of the Premier League era? Amayu Akimolere, welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Here for today's episode, we have our football correspondent, David Ornstein, Liverpool reporter, James Pearce, and also we've got author and biographer of Jurgen Klopp. Bring the noise. The Athletics, Rafael Honigstein as well. Right, gents, let's get into this. Let's start with you, James. Honestly, I think I was taken by shock on Friday when I heard the news. Um, considering where Liverpool are in particular, in domestic competitions and in Europe as well. What are your thoughts? And I know you were at Anfield as well yesterday. Yeah, it was an absolute bombshell. I got a message of someone about a minute before the news went public. And it was one of those ones where you had to read it two or three times and think, this can't quite be real. Because as you said, especially in the context of the season Liverpool are having, still in contention for glory on four fronts. You look at the work that Klopp has done in terms of rebuilding that team. And you were just kind of left scratching your head thinking, why? And certainly that was the mood around Anfield on Sunday with people I've spoke to, people still kind of shell-shocked, really, just trying to get to grips with the news. You know, there's a real mix of emotions. I think there was sadness, but also massive appreciation. Because when you think about where Liverpool were at as a club when he first walked in and where they're at now, and I think it, it kind of the mood changed over the course of the afternoon on Sunday because it was pretty sombre to start with. But then the noise just grew and grew and grew. Because I think there is that collective feeling of, right, we have to ensure that this era gets the dream finale that it deserves. Yeah, and Rafa, from a, a German perspective, obviously, most recently we know Jurgen Klopp was linked with the German national team job. Um, what's the reaction? Uh, yeah, a strange mix of, of shock and um, some kind of optimism or... I think in Spanish they would probably say ilusión, a vision that uh, Klopp might arrive as national team manager before too long. So a sense of anticipation almost between those two two poles, I think. But yeah, Klopp has been synonymous with Liverpool now, even in Germany for the last 
few years, he's ubiquitous on, on German television, uh, advertising, uh, all sorts of stuff. And uh, he is the kind of sort of iconic football figure that Germany haven't had probably since the latter um, stages of Franz Beckenbauer post-playing career. So he he is the, the, the biggest football personality in Germany and therefore massive news. I, I always know that news transcends football if my mom texts me about something. And uh, and and she did. <laughs> did you did your mom text you, David, uh, about Jurgen uh, <laughs> Klopp leaving? No. I think everybody had that feeling of uh, I was there or where I was moment. You know, you're kind of gonna remember that for a long time to come. I was actually walking around a supermarket, which isn't particularly either glamorous or an ideal place to start working on a story like this, and having frantic phone calls um, to try and find out you know, the details of what happened, how it came about and where things go next while picking tins and packets off of shelves. But it's the sort of news that it means so much to so many. Klopp has been a a staple of everybody's lives and the competition and global football for every day since 2015, 8th of October, when he arrived, my first son's first birthday. And it's going to be really strange without him. And on the whole, it's been an historic, incredible period of remarkable competition. You know, the rebuilding of of Liverpool post Hicks and Gillette and the near miss under Brendan Rodgers. Many of us will remember the trip to Kiev for, for that Champions League final that ended in disappointment. Yet they came back and went again with this amazing crop of players in in Madrid 12 months later. Then they went and ended their wait 30 years for a Premier League title. It's been impressive the way like he's rebuilt, not just recently with these signings last summer, but after a really horrible period for him personally and professionally during COVID. When he lost his mother, couldn't really travel back to Germany, was on his own. They, they had a Awful injury record, bad luck with Virgil van Dijk, Joel Matip, Joe Gomez. Their recruitment in the January window that year was not ideal. Kabak and Davies from Preston and and they struggled, but then they brought in Konate early in the next summer and, and they went again. And, and I love that sort of reinvention that Klopp showed. And, you know, I did think that he would do it for a little bit longer. Um, now, the contract signed till 2026. My information is that there was an understanding it was really 2025 and they would all put their heads together and decide whether they wanted to go on, almost like the the final 12 months were an option. If that is the case, then we're into the final 18 months now. And if you're a player, in most cases, clubs would be looking to either renew you or sell you and the forward planning needs to begin. And it's much more significant with the manager they're in control and involved in so many more elements of a club and there are people's lives and careers that depend on decisions like these and we've just seen like the magnitude of Liverpool's announcement it wasn't just that Klopp's going it's his whole staff it's that the sporting director's going even earlier I mean this is the biggest upheaval you'd imagine that Liverpool have had really in modern history anyway. James, how do you think they've kept this quiet since since November? I mean, it's clearly been bubbling for, for a little while, right? Yeah, I think well the the key was it was only known by a very select few. That was that was pretty clear. Even even members of the backroom staff that have been there a long, long time who aren't among the group, the immediate coaching staff who will be leaving with Jurgen in the summer, they weren't aware until, you know, a staff meeting was called just before the the ten thirty AM players meeting last Friday. So the the staff were informed, then the players were informed, and then they pressed the button on the 
on the public announcement. So yeah, it was back in November when the phone call first went into Mike Gordon, the FSG president, that this was a decision he'd come to. I know the owners, having worked with him for so long and with the relationship having been so good, they knew that Jurgen Klopp wouldn't have made a decision like this lightly. It wasn't a knee-jerk thing. They knew that there would be no ability to talk him out of it. It was, it was never going to be about you know, money or transfer budgets or anything like that. But I think that passage of time from November through to the back end of January, there was always that glimmer of hope for them that maybe, maybe he might have, he might change his mind. But once that had not happened and Klopp himself was determined to get it out there, because I think just with the way that things were at, Liverpool were at a point where in terms of the search for a successor, you can do background work, you can do all the data stuff and Will Spearman, the director of research there, whatever, him and his team have got a big part to play in recruiting a successor in terms of crunching the numbers and trying to find the ideal candidate who will work stylistically. But of course, you then reach a point where it's like, if you're going to start going out there to speak to candidates and speak to agents, then of course the news would leak out and Klopp didn't want that. He wanted to do it on his terms, which meant players and supporters and staff hearing it from him rather than reading about it in the media. David mentioned about COVID and Rafa and, you know, you just sort of think on a human level, um, how much that period could have taken out of someone like Klopp, you know, his mother passing away and things like that. Do you think taking all that into consideration, and I know he talks about not having as much strength as he used to be, this decision was more than likely because emotionally, mentally, physically, he doesn't see himself being that rock and roll Jurgen Klopp in the same way moving forward. Well, that's a, sort of the strange part of that decision because on one hand, it didn't come out of the blue. There had been stories going around and rumours in Germany that he has is perhaps coming towards the end of his time at Liverpool, that he's looking at the German national job, that he wants a different rhythm. And all these stories emerged in that season during COVID or towards the end of it when they had that bad year, 2021, when they finished third. But he was very miserable. You could see that he wasn't enjoying either Liverpool's form nor the fact that COVID made football a lot less exciting. I think he is somebody who has always used the international breaks to the fullest advantage. He would go to places in the sun, whether that's South Africa or in Spain, to just um, recharge his battery. And that year that wasn't possible. So on top of losing his mum, playing in an empty stadium, having lots of injuries, football not working, plus no ability to escape this kind of the prison um, or the confines of life that existed during COVID. I think that was the gestation of the sense that maybe I need something a little bit different. But then at the same time, the decision, as James has alluded to, was surprising because from seeing Klopp and speaking to him at games this season, you got the sense that this is Klopp really enjoying himself. This is Klopp getting the sense that Liverpool are in a fantastic position to win massive titles. The stadium is bigger than ever. Uh, the team has been rejuvenated and here we go. And maybe I can outlast Pep at Man City and, and start winning things in big in regularity. But I guess ultimately he listened to himself and took stock of his energy levels. And I believe him when he said that he needed a different lifestyle and that he had to yeah, had to leave and and slow down a little bit at this point. 
James, I'm just quickly thinking from a from a Scouse perspective, from a Liverpoolian perspective. You know, you think about names like Bill Shankly, you think about Sir Kenny Dalglish. You know, stalwarts etched into the history of, of Liverpool football team. Jurgen Klopp, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, completed everything domestically, European success as well. And then look, we're saying it again: Premier League title potentially in, in the frame for that on all fronts, domestically again, in the frame for that. I mean, this is massive, massive news for, for, for Scousers. And actually, you just feel, as he's losing energy, perhaps there's an energy also sapped out of the Liverpool fans as well. Yeah, I think I think that's why it was such a, a seismic day on Friday, because we are talking about probably the most transformative figure in the club's history since Bill Shankly. And of course, there were other great managers since, but a lot of those managers inherited like a winning machine and were able to then carry on that that history and tradition. Klopp inherited a team that were 10th in the Premier League. You know, Liverpool had been a Champions League club once out of the last six seasons before he arrived. And he, not only has he, has he won everything, but it's the style in which he, he's done it, the way in which he's represented the fan base and the city, the way he's been a figurehead, the style of the football, and, and also making... Femway Sports Group's business model, the self-sustaining model, work because that makes it all the more incredible what he's done. When you look at it, it's not been through a vast, you know, throwing huge sums of money at it. You know, yes, there were some occasions when he bought the finished article in Van Dyke and Allison, but more often than not, it's been about elevating players to the world-class bracket rather than buying world-class elite players. And he's done it so often, you know, when... The recruitment has been so incredible, you know, that tactical now mixed with the the man management. So, yeah, you're talking about, you know, an, an absolutely impossible act to follow. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Over the years, I, my role obviously was a pretty dominant one. It was not intentionally, uh, but it happened. The exhaustion point that, that Raf and James have both talked about, there was a really good piece by Jonathan Northcroft in the Sunday Times, just sort of explaining the the toll that it was taking on Jurgen Klopp, like it would anybody in his position. And, and the amount of things now that you take on your shoulders as a manager, the, the stresses and strains, the, the size of the clubs growing exponentially bigger, the various factors pulling you in different directions from commercial to pre-season tours to recruitment and medical and all these different facets of um, clubs are expanding. And that's why the traditional role of manager in, say, the Sir Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger model is kind of dissipating and and you're seeing these head coaches just focusing on the training and various different people taking various different roles and 
yet at Liverpool in recent times, following the departures of Michael Edwards as sporting director and then his successor soon after in Julian Ward. All of that basically saw Klopp's authority and power and responsibility grow just at the moment where you probably think he might have needed more help than ever. Now, of course, maybe he he relished the chance to be on top of more areas and, and have things more his own way. I, I don't know. But when you start to think of it like that, just in this era where you could do with more assistance and he was pro- possibly getting less, by, by no one's fault, by the way, that sort of draining element really starts to hit home. And in the piece that we put together, led by James on, on sort of inside how this happened. I had a number of conversations for that, which reflected this feeling last summer. Um, and, and I really wanted to be clear because a lot of the feedback we got was you're being wise after the event. Why didn't you say it then if you knew it at the time? We didn't really. We, there, there were whispers, but you're not just going to go out and report whispers. You know, you want things to be credible. So now we've made the con- calls and checks and conversations for this piece. It's become quite clear that there were a number of players staff, people at and around the club that thought that maybe the summer of 2024 might actually be a natural end, which would be a year before when I said the contract was kind of understood to be ending 2025, even to the extent that some were referring to it as the last dance for this group that had been so expertly built and nurtured by Klopp. Actually, it didn't quite work out like that because you saw players such as Jordan Henderson, Roberto Firmino and Fabinho all leaving last summer. But Mo Salah, Virgil van Dijk, Trent Alexander-Arnold did go on. And unless something changes between now and the summer, they're going to be looking at the final 12 months of their contract, which is another massive element to all of this going forward as well. And what they might do and should Liverpool have moved earlier or did the fact that they haven't moved on those contracts yet with hindsight, set alarm bells ringing? Or or was that a signal that perhaps not always how it normally would be because Liverpool would get on top of these contract situations in normal circumstances? And so that, on reflection, maybe says that this was a little bit signposted to some people, not not necessarily to me. I've got messages from people saying, yeah, the writing was on the wall. And in fact, the way things were going last season, there were people, it's not me inventing it, who were saying, you know, if it continues like this, then he could go at some point in this current season. Um, Now, it's gone better than expected, but those sentiments don't build up for no reason. It comes from people's eyes and ears who are much closer to it than all of us. And so that's why I think it was expected by quite a few people that he might go in the summer of 2024. That wasn't a total shock. It was just that we didn't know the news was coming when it was announced, the timing. And also the fact that it was not just a feeling and a sentiment, but it was real. That is what kind of made the earth shake. Yeah, James, um, David just alluded to it at, at the top of what he just said there in terms of Klopp's, I guess, influence in the club now in many respects, right? The club he inherited is very different in terms of infrastructure to the club he's now leaving. Could you just give us a, a very quick overview of what the club looked like pre-Klopp to where it's at now in terms of all those components within it? Yeah, well, it has it has changed a lot because, of course, it was early on in the Klopp reign when Michael Edwards was promoted to the role of of sporting director. That was key to the owner's structure and club model at the time, that they didn't want this kind of real managerial figure having influence across everything. 
because you know of course that's this is really the job of the sporting director and you needed that healthy relationship where and, and why that's why it worked so well with Edwards and Klopp was that Edwards was never shy about saying no we're not doing it like that you know that is not the right player you know there's lots of examples you know Michael Edwards was and Klopp has talked about this himself you know he was huge on the signing of Mo Salah when you know Klopp at the time was thinking about Julian Brandt early on earlier on in that year there was a really good dynamic there that worked. And of course, what happens is when a manager is as successful as Klopp is, and also with his sheer force of personality, his influence just grows and grows across so much, so many areas of the club. You know, you can look upon it, even right down to things like pre-season tours. You know, they're now so much shorter than they used to be because where before commercial would obviously say to Brendan Rodgers, right, we're going to Australia because we've been offered £10 million or something. Uh, because of who he is and what he'd done, it was it was suddenly no, that is not happening. This is what we're doing, and and that, and, that, and I think that's probably why he's reached the point as well where he feels like he doesn't have the energy. You know, he said about I can't do the job on three wheels because it, it his job has been so all encompassing. And as David touched upon there, that the dynamic has shifted because obviously Michael Edwards departed, Julian Ward only stayed in the job for one season. York Schmacker actually referred to himself as you know. I'm just here to serve Jürgen. You know, that's not the normal dynamic between a sporting director and a manager. So this will be a huge reset this summer. And that's why I think it's interesting for the people I've spoken to that very much they, the intention is to get a sporting director in place before a new manager because you want that sporting director to have a part to play in who that manager is going to be to ensure that they can work together and, and try and ensure that there isn't the drop-off that, that so many Liverpool fans will be fearful of. Yeah, Rafa, we think about fatigue. Um, you're talking about how enormous the job he's doing at Liverpool and also the power structure and how he's got his hands in various parts of the infrastructure at Liverpool. Is this any similar to how he was at Dortmund by any chance? No, Dortmund was very different. Dortmund was a triumvirate of uh, very powerful people. You had the CEO, Hans-Joachim Watzke. You had the uh, sporting director, Michael Zorc. And then you had Klopp and the three of them. Um, decided things together, argued together, then made up together and and celebrated for most of the time. When Klopp resigned, it was more a case of feeling that he couldn't take this team any further, that this team needed a massive reboot. And um, the way the conversation was relayed to me, he, they, the three of them arrived at a point where he said, well, you can do two things. You can either fire 15 players or you can fire me. So in the end, they all looked at each other and thought, well, then it's probably it's probably gonna be it's probably gonna be you, Jurgen. But he kind of suggested it himself almost. This is this is different, and I think the timing is interesting because to me it serves two purposes. First, I think there is a genuine concern on Klopp's behalf to make sure that the club have enough time to sort things out when it comes to talking to players about contract extensions, talking about new targets. You can't do this in May and June. You know, it's, it's far too late. So you have to do this now uh, to let everyone know what's coming. That was really key uh, in one way. But it also, I think, helps helps Jürgen because it puts him in a situation where people know he's going to be available in, uh, in less than six months' time. And it will definitely serve as notice to the German FA that um, when things couldn't quite work out for mostly reasons of timing in the past, when it came to him being in charge for Germany uh, at the Euros, for example, 
he will be energy permitting um, available to take them to the World Cup in 2026, which I think is is hugely appealing. Yeah, for sure. Um, very quickly, uh, David, who then is in charge of leading that process to, to replace Jurgen Klopp? Well, Mike Gordon, who's president of Fenway Sports Group and the key director at Liverpool, um, he's the go-between, really, between John Henry, uh, Tom Werner in the States and people on the ground in the UK, which is Billy Hogan as chief executive and a number of others who work in sort of recruitment and, and data, as James said. And and data and recruitment departments will be key. They, they know everything that's going on here. They would have known about this decision and they would have been planning for the future. And I thought it was very decisive and um, almost like ruthless that Liverpool said, manager is going, staff are going, sporting director. It was like a clearing of the decks. That, that said to me that there is a not a firm plan in place, but they know they are going to deliver a new team and it had to be a kind of sweeping of the broom, really. Around the time that sort of Liverpool um, entertained interest in a complete sale or investment from outside, Mike Gordon kind of stepped back a little bit. But since then, he has immersed himself once again in Liverpool and, and that's said to be a very good thing for the club and he's highly regarded and uh, well connected and works with and listens to the right people and so yeah Mike Gordon alongside a small number of people I think they've got Jonathan Bamber who's increasingly involved in matters there Barry Hunter on the recruitment side David Fallows Will Spearman and so Liverpool have actually built a an operation there that whether it be player recruitment, contract renewal or changes in staff, executive and managers, they're, they're well thought of throughout the industry. And I would back them to deliver a really good appointment and, and new setup. And uh, it's not going to be easy because they're some of the biggest shoes to fill. But in terms of their structure, I think they're in a decent place from which to build. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolev. I guess the bigger question now is uh, who's next? Who can take this job on? And it's a big job, as you've just said, David. Big, big shoes to fill. Well, Tom Harris has been given his insights on a certain Xavi Alonso. I think when we talk about managerial successions, it can become really easy to become preoccupied with play style. And I think in this particular example, obviously Jurgen Klopp has 
defined an era really of Liverpool Football Club with his heavy metal football. But if we're looking at the you know the European landscape at the moment, very few coaches who are quite like Jurgen Klopp exist. So people like Xabi Alonso are going to rise to the top of that list because he's the most exciting name there in terms of what he's doing at the moment at Bayer Leverkusen. He's leading a very credible title charge in the Bundesliga. And, you know, he's also got that kind of illustrious playing career at Liverpool as well. But I think most importantly is that he's been able to adapt his coaching style to the players available and impose his methods at Bayer Leverkusen really quickly. So, you know, from the 2021-22 season under Gerardo Seoane, and now if we compare it, Leverkusen average 8.5% more of the ball per game. The number of short passes they complete per game has almost doubled. There's a really fantastic article on site by John Muller, which outlines the differences between the two managers. You know, Chabby's quick, punchy build-up, his obsession with the half spaces, Klopp's raking passes out to the wings, the counter-pressing. But I guess at this point of the recruitment process, the better question really is not who is like Klopp out there and not who is going to be a Klopp replica, but who can create an identity like Jurgen Klopp could. And in that regard, I think if we look at Alonso's track record suggests you know he's in a, he's in a pretty good place for this yeah thanks tom raf we see what he's doing at leverkusen I've, I've heard this quite a few times almost one of the names immediately thrown in there is it as easy as saying let's take what he's done at leverkusen and then bring him straight to liverpool i mean he hasn't even finished that job yet no he hasn't finished the job and there are a lot of people who say Xabi Alonso will do things very slowly and a chance, A, to win trophies this year, but then to play, for example, in the Champions League with Leverkusen for the first time next year will be very appealing. At the same time, if the offer really does come round, I think it's going to be very, very hard stroke, if not impossible, to turn it down. Who wouldn't want to be the Liverpool manager with this Liverpool team? And with the kind of backing in terms of having the decision-making process that, that Klopp has enjoyed, although... It wasn't a thing to begin with because the idea was that Klopp would work within a system and he did for for many years, but I think his his power grew. And now there's a point where, where where's the, the footballing expertise around him. So that might be one of the drawbacks of the current setup that people say, am I starting from scratch here if I become the manager? Who, who, are, who am I speaking to? Who are the people making the decisions? Alonso will feature very highly for, for two very obvious reasons. One... The football that his team plays is really good. Let's make it three reasons. The second one, he hasn't gone and bought superstars and then, okay, suddenly they're playing like superstar players. He has improved every single player. That's going to be hugely appealing to FSG with their model. One of the main reasons, and James will know this as well, one of the main reasons why FSG's decision came down on Jurgen Klopp rather than Carlo Ancelotti was that Ancelotti and the interview said, I need a new striker, I need a new midfielder, I need a new defender. <laughs> and Klopp said, I will work with what I have and then we'll we'll see what happens. Alonso would be the same. I don't think Alonso is going to come in and say, I want this, I want that guy. Having worked in Germany in a different system, that's going to be very appealing to FSG. And the third reason is that Liverpool, and Klopp has proven this, in contrast with some of the previous appointments, Liverpool need a manager who is to a certain extent larger than life. He needs to have charisma. He needs to be able to understand what makes the city tick, what makes the club tick, the institution. He needs to, I think, have a 
um, command the level of respect in football beyond Liverpool. And Alonso does all these things. And I don't think you're going to find another candidate who'll come as close to ticking all these boxes as he does at the moment. James, from a, a Liverpool perspective, Xabi Alonso, I mean, Rafa just said why he almost just gave him the job, really. Um, you know, why, why he'd be such a, a, a good candidate, you know, 2005 Champions League winning uh, player and obviously showing a, a managerial nounce now in Germany. This would be a welcome, I imagine, a, a very welcome marriage for Liverpool fans. Yeah, he, as we sit here now, I think he would definitely be the pick of certainly the, the vast majority of fans I've spoken to since since Friday. Um, as Rafa said, you know, it's it's not just his body of work at Leverkusen that commands respect. It, it's also the fact that he has such a close affinity with the club. He was a, he was adored at Anfield as a player, as you said, you know, part of one of the most iconic triumphs in the in the club's history. So yeah, I think as as Rafa said, very it'd be very very difficult for him to turn it down if it if the offer comes in. However. He would only be normal if he was thinking, do I really want to be the man who comes in after Klopp? Or am I better off sitting tight and being the man after the man after Klopp? Because it is such a, a hard act to follow. Um, I mean, it was interesting listening to Klopp on Friday saying he will have absolutely no role whatsoever in terms of picking his successor. You know, it's not going to be a Ferguson, David Moyes type situation at United. And he, you know, he also said there'll be no Ferguson style U-turn. Um, so it's this is very much down to to FSG which direction they go in. So I think Deserbi at Brighton has to be part of the conversation when you look at the job he's done there. Postacoglu has been mentioned, obviously mm. well documented in terms of passion and yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. obviously you know has that affinity with the club. Although of course he's still very early on in his reign at Tottenham, and I'm sure that wouldn't be an easy one to try and negotiate him out of. Um, and even you know someone mentioned to me how much they admire the work of Thomas Frank on very limited resources at, at Brentford. But yeah, I think Alonso has to be regarded as the outstanding candidate currently. David, do Liverpool fans also have to think about, look at Manchester United, for instance, you know, this rebuild, this let's get the club back to where it needs to be kind of conversation. I mean, it's taken United 11 years. Do we, do we get a sense that Liverpool are trying to approach this slightly differently? And not just... Manchester United, but Arsenal too, post Wenger. Let's see what happens one day when Guardiola leaves Man City. But the difference is that Liverpool, I think, are better set up than Manchester United or Arsenal were at that moment in time. Manchester United in particular, I think Sir Alex Ferguson was papering over a lot of the cracks that had built up uh, under the Glazer ownership. And that dated back to 2005. He left in 2013. So that was a long time for certain departments and structures to fester. Arsenal had begun the sort of rejuvenation and rebuild. The chief executive at the time, Ivan Gazidis, began appointing heads of departments that didn't exist before, head of recruitment, head of high performance, head of contracts and so on, so that Wenger was starting to work in a more continental model that would um, succeed him. Liverpool kind of already have that in place and that gives me quite 
strong conviction that they are going to have some continuity here that maybe those other two clubs didn't enjoy. That doesn't make it an easier decision. It doesn't make all of Klopp's reign easy. Like, let's not uh, sort of look back on this with rose-tinted spectacles entirely. There were tough periods where sections of the fan base weren't happy towards him, weren't happy towards the ownership, still aren't, uh, in the case of many, towards FSG. But as far as you can go, I think, you know, Liverpool in decent shape and and I don't think the other two were and but you know a lot of conversation around the industry and this might be a consideration for Xabi Alonso, Roberto De Zerbi, Thomas Frank or whoever may be next and we are assured that Liverpool will approach it with without emotion and and in a clinical fashion um, to get the right appointment not necessarily just the the populist one but the person who replaces Klopp, you know, it, it's not easy. It could be a bit of a poison chalice. And that proved to be the case at Manchester United. And, and you could argue it, it still is. Um, and it was definitely incredibly tough for Unai Emery at, at Arsenal. And it failed, but didn't make him a bad manager, as we've seen since at Villarreal and Aston Villa. And I don't want to say this for Liverpool because the fans will all be hoping that it's going to be a continuation of the success. But it is plausible that they they have a downturn and and that it's the person after or the person after that that gets things back to this level or maybe they they won't recapture these heights but it it doesn't mean that the future can't be successful in its own right yeah very quickly in terms of what Klopp does next um Rafa and Amy Lawrence basically put this on X and I I thought it was really poignant in comparison in, in in speaking about him leaving now and she compared it to the Wenger era and how demanding the job can be you know she says there is so much sacrifice to the altar of the club the demands multiplied by a number of years are beyond most massive admiration for Klopp for recognizing the cost on the job Wenger explicitly spoke about you know wishing he'd been able to do other things you know like he talks about having a daughter wish he could have more children wish you know probably cost him his marriage and, and his relationship at certain points and you know when Klopp did sign the new contract he mentioned how his wife was okay with it is there an element of, you know, I need a bit more normality, I need more family life. He talks himself as being a guy from the forest. Is there a, an idea that, you know what, I just need to recharge my batteries at this point? Yeah, this is something that's very much coming out of Germany and people close to him that uh, he wants more family time. His adopted son has just had a, a child that makes him a, a grandfather. The Klops are building a house in Wiesbaden, which is sort of near, near Mainz. And Frankfurt, Frankfurt is where the German FA are based, um, very, very close. Uh, you could drive to uh, your office, if indeed you need an office as a national team manager. I'm not- are you saying he's going for the German job? You've said this a few times now. Like I'm just reading between well, the lines. Well, I'm saying it because I think he's, he's too young and too passionate to be out of football, full stop. And the fact that he's talking about a sabbatical rather than um, a break in his career or... Uh, stopped his career, I think, hints very much at the fact that he wants to do something else. And um, geographically, in terms of energy levels, in terms of where he is as a manager, I think the national team manager job ticks so many boxes for him. And uh, the whole nation would love him to be in that position. Um, The most powerful man in German football at the moment, Hans-Joachim Watzke, is the closest ally of Jurgen Klopp from the Dortmund days. So it's almost, I think, we've almost come to the point where from a German perspective, we all expect it to happen. And it's just a question of, will he start straight after the Euros? 
or will you wait a little bit and then take over in when Germany gets closer to the to the World Cup? But I think it's all arrows, if you will, are pointing in that in that direction. And as I said, it's something that we've heard from people close to him uh, over the last couple of years that it was very much um, something that he had, I think, targeted. And the fact that he's made this decision now, I think, gives everyone a lot of time to to figure out what the best way to do it is. But I think it will happen. Yeah, for sure. Well, I tell you what, I think in unison we could all agree that Jurgen Klopp's energy, nounce, wit and uh, his rock and roll style football will definitely be missed in the Premier League. Huge thanks, guys, for, for your time on the pod, David James and also Rafa as well. Please remember to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. And also you can subscribe to The Athletic with our latest offer available at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. To listen to other great athletic football podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.